Well, good morning. Hope everybody's having a good day today. Uh, last week, we, we talked about opening the door to change, especially changing the way we look and uh, the way we work and function as a church and as also as individual disciples in order to become better representatives of Jesus in our community. We, we talked about being open to different ways of getting people's attention in order to share God's message. And in that lesson, I admit it, I, I got no idea exactly what those changes uh, are, are going to be or what they should be, but we're committed to seeking God's wisdom and seeking God's plan uh, until we do know what those changes are, and then we're committed to doing that. Now, since that lesson in this past week, man, so much has gone on, right? So much has happened. Several, several things have happened that have, once again, they just dominate uh, our country's news cycles. A man named Dante Wright was, was killed during a traffic stop by a police officer in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, the officer said she, she thought she had pulled her taser to tase the man, but instead she accidentally pulled her firearm and, and fatally shot him. Now, this time I don't know any more specifics on this situation other than the officer involved and I think the Minneapolis's uh, their own police chief have both resigned from their positions, but all of this is happening during the trial against Derek Chauvin. Uh, that trial now is, is draws to a close. I, I think uh, tomorrow on Monday they they plan to have closing arguments and then turn things over to the uh, to the uh, jury. So at the time of this recording, we don't know the outcome of that trial and what's actually going to happen. I just know that these events, because they're they're concentrated right there in Minneapolis, they they reignited protests. And that's understandable. I think that that's, protests can be good. However, some protests develop into further violence, which, which is not good. And I bring this up because some people wonder how we as a church are going to respond to these incidents, or how, how should we respond to things like this? Like, like the fatal shooting of a 13-year-old uh, in Chicago just a couple of weeks ago, uh, or this past weekend when at least... Four shootings in, in here in Champaign-Urbana left three people dead in a community struggling for answers. Uh, and just where, I don't know, even just a couple of days ago, at least eight people were killed when a crazed shooter at a FedEx facility in Indiana, at the Indianapolis airport just went in and just started killing people. How do we respond to these things? And, and I hope we don't have to say that... Uh, Loss of life, any loss of life is, a tra is tragic, regardless of the circumstances. Now, certainly if we're, we're, we're talking about if, if, if the taking of a life is motivated by hate or racism, then that, that's even worse. But all loss of life is tragic and against God's will. Loss of life in these ways. The Bible says God wants, he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Anything less than that is tragic. And this just highlights for me, there's a lot of sin and ugliness in this world. And, and this sin and ugliness has been ingrained in our human psyche for generations, for millennia. So what are we to say? What are we to do? Are we supposed to say, hey, that's just the way it is? Now, I want you to know, I, I'm not going to try to solve all of our world's social dysfunctions this morning. The problems are, frankly, too big and complex to think that they can be easily remedied. 
I'm going to really try to not get into a, a political, moral, or ethical debate here, but what I am going to talk about is what we can do right here, right now, in this church today. Yeah, we can affect our community right now. Now, we can do this by getting involved in the social and political arena. Yeah, you, you can do that if you want to. If you feel called to do that, then amen. Go for it. I, I, I think we need more people who are guided by the Spirit of God involved in the civic debates in our community. But right here and right now, we're called to do something that I think can have a far greater and even quicker impact on our community. As we often say, control what you can control. Well, what we can control ourselves as a family is us, a family of faith. And as a family of faith, we can impact our community. However, if we're going to have an impact on our community, we're going to need, we're going to need a much larger family of faith. What we really need in order to make a real lasting change is many voices sharing the message of God with all of those around us. This is going to have the greatest, quickest impact on our community and our lives. How do we do that? Well, as I mentioned last week, the world, the world wants what God is offering. The world wants peace. The world wants love. The world wants to belong. Everyone wants to be expect, accepted and respected. People wanted to be treated fairly and honestly, with integrity, and most of all, they want to just they just want to be given a chance. And God offers more than just a chance. He offers a second chance. He offers a third chance. As a matter of fact, John tells us in 1 John chapter 7 verse I mean, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, he says that as long as we're walking in the light, meaning that as long as we're trying and striving for him, Jesus offers forgiveness of all of our sins and our shortcomings. He gives us as many chances as we need. See, God is offering what the world wants. But in many ways, the world has stopped listening or stop believing God's message. And this is largely because of the arrogance, hypocrisy, hatred, and, and yes, ignorance of many who call themselves Christians. I, 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 I don't know about you. Sometimes I get embarrassed to be a Christian when I hear what some others say or when I see what other people post on Facebook in the name of Jesus. I, when I saw the guy uh, uh, carrying a cross and such at the insurrection at our nation's capital back in January, I literally hung my head and I said, no, no, man, leave God out of this. God has nothing to do with this. We need to face the fact that evangelical Christians are one of the least respected religious groups in America today. Brothers and sisters, even though you and I may not want to be associated with the modern evangelical movement, that's how we're seen in our community, in the community around us. And we need to set ourselves apart from this. Not only must we live a different way, we must speak a different message. And we've got to open the door to change with our message. 
In Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, we're called to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Now, let's break this passage down. The scripture says to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Here, the, the, the word Paul used uh, that's translated peace, it's, it's often, uh, it's, it was used in the athletic world. It was like an umpire or a, a judge or a ruler. The one who decides who's safe and who's out or, or settles a matter of dispute. The, the, the reason the current hot topics that we have in our culture today, the reason they're so hot is that they're matters of passionate dispute. What I mean is, is one person says, you know, they see things this way and another person sees things this another way. And often truth and reality are lost in the passion and confusion of the emotions. Uh, the emotions that these issues generate. PH, uh, PhD George Thompson, in his book entitled Verbal Judo, The Gentle Art of Persuasion, he points out that from the receiver's point of view, okay, now that's important. I'm talking about from the receiver's point of view, the person listening to what we have to say. He says, from the receiver's point of view, there are three basic elements of communication from which they will interpret your meaning, okay? First, the facts or the truth as you present it. Now, to the receiver, this carries a weight of only about 7 to 10 percent of the total impact. 7 to 10 percent. Okay, now, how you say what you say, your, your voice, that carries a weight of 33 to 40 percent of what you say. Okay, to the receiver. Now, the remaining 50 to 60% comes from all the nonverbals, uh, you know, the body language and, and facial expressions. So, so what he's saying is, is that the logic or the reason of your message, which to you may seem like the most important part of the process, is actually the least considered factor. By the way, this is why we so much encourage, we just tell people, please just stop trying to communicate anything serious or important on social media. Because with social media, you eliminate the voice, how you say it, and you eliminate all the nonverbals of body language, etc. And you're left with only 7 to 10% of your ability to communicate clearly. I mean, no wonder people just seem to get more and more angry and farther and farther apart when they try to use Facebook or social media to have any kind of meaningful conversation. It's the worst platform for these things. And we think it's so good because it gets to broad, broadcast to so many different people, but the reality is it's even worse because it's the worst form of communication that gets broadcast to the most people, which makes it even more dangerous. And furthermore, sometimes you know, when we get into these hot topics, uh, there's this, we, we get involved in this, uh, I don't know, it's a self-dispute, right? It's a self-debate in our own hearts as to how we should handle ourselves. If my heart is in dispute with itself, 
In other words, I'm pulled in a couple of different directions, right? By the events, by the emotions of my life that's going on. One's, one's pulling me to anger and, and hatred and violence. And the other's pulling me to calm and love and peace. The scripture here says, it is the peace of Christ that must decide which way I surrender my heart. The peace of Christ rules in my heart. It is the way of love that's going to bring about the righteous life God desires. We must appoint Jesus as the arbiter between the conflicting emotions of our hearts. And let me repeat that. We must appoint Jesus as the arbiter between the conflicting emotions of our hearts. If we can accept His decision, we're not going to go wrong. Like Paul said in Philippians chapter uh, 4, verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That, that peace is what's going to guard your heart. It's going to be like a strong wall built around your heart to protect you from letting the enemy in, or maybe it's to protect you from letting your own sinful nature out. You know, when I disagree with someone's political views or political loyalties, I got to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. When I, when I disagree with someone's take on some emotionally charged event in our community or a topic in our country, and, and they criticize something that I believe in passionately, I've got to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. And if I think someone is being a complete bonehead on Facebook or Instagram, I've got to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. Now, in order to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart, I've got to let the message of Christ dwell in me richly or abundantly. That means a lot, right? Abundant means large quantities. Now, some translations say that the word of Christ, that phrase, they say the word of Christ instead of the message of Christ. The Greek word here uh, is logos. It, it can mean word as in a single unit, right? A single word. Or it can mean that which embodies a concept or an idea. You see, it's not just words, as in specific scriptures, that I should have dwell in me richly, although that's very important, right? We got to learn the scriptures and we got to use them always. They need to always be our guide. But what it also means is let the whole attitude, the whole message, the whole philosophy and persona of Jesus project from me to dwell in me richly and abundantly. I need to not only just quote Jesus's words, I need to reflect his heart in what I say and how I say it. Because what I say and do should always reflect what Jesus would say and do. When people see me, when they see how I act, how I communicate, they should see Jesus, not me. You see, the more my ego is allowed to affect my communication, the less I am able to reflect Jesus in what I am communicating. And it's our job to represent Jesus, right? We're called to be his ambassadors here on this planet. We must open the door to change 
with our message. Here's what I'm talking about. Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, uh, an ambassador is, is, is at the same time as both a messenger and a representative. Ambassadors don't speak in their own name or act under their own authority. They don't communicate their own opinions or, or demands, but rather they have been told what to say and they've been hold, told to say by whom they represent. And only then does their message have authority because it's not the ambassador's message, right? It's the message of who they represent. In our case, the message of the Messiah. It's his voice. And his voice is the voice of the sovereign one. He is the one that we represent. And the one he we represent is the one with the authority. What we say, how we say it, it means something, friends. It, it has impact. It represents God. You, me, we represent God. And remember, it's not just what we say, right? It's how we say it and how we look when we're saying it. And when anger becomes the new type of danger, the ability to represent God calmly and persuasively has never been more necessary than now. The digital age has fundamentally changed how we must conduct ourselves in both professional and, and personal interactions because no matter what we say or when we say it, people see us as speaking for God. And when we do this digitally, our words are now carried to the masses, right? How we are seen and heard reflects directly on God. And make no mistake, right or wrong, people will use what we say to either reject or accept God. That is a profound responsibility. When we speak, we need to speak the words of God. Remember what Paul said to in Colossians, the word of Christ must dwell in us richly. We need to speak his message, not our message. And if we can't point to a scripture or reflect the spirit, the attitude in the heart of Jesus when we speak, well, then we need to stop talking. We're not here to spread the message of some political party or platform. We're not here to promote some social message or agenda. We are Christ's ambassadors, and we speak for him. And again, if we stick to the message of Jesus, we won't go wrong. Sometimes the message of a political party or a platform, uh, maybe even the message of a, a social change or whatever, that's going to mirror the message of God. And if that happens, amen. But we can't lose sight of the awesome responsibility we have as ambassadors of Jesus. We speak his message. If someone else's message happens to line up with God's message, great. But make no mistake about it. We speak God's message regardless of whether it resonates with someone else's message or not. Now, like I said earlier, uh, we, we can't solve all our social problems today, right? But we can start chipping away at the stone. 
All right, so let's start. We're going to start. Let's, let's just talk about racism. And as we talk about racism, remember, as ambassadors, our real question, the one for us to ask is, how does God feel about racism? That's the one that matters to the ambassador. Now, God's message is pretty clear on this one. The one, one searing example comes from way back in the Old Testament. It's in Numbers chapter 12. And we got this incredible story. Uh, it's a horrible story of racism. Moses' brother and sister, right, Aaron and Miriam, criticize Moses because of his interracial marriage. And in verses 1 and 2, it says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. <laughs> That's the scary part, right? We need to remember, well, maybe God's listening. God's, God's always listening. So here's what happens. God, we understand Cush, it, by the, it, it's the modern-day Ethiopia. Now, Moses and all of Israel, even though they had just come out of Egypt, they're ethnically Middle Eastern, and Ethiopia is African. And Miriam and Aaron were criticizing Moses for marrying an African woman. And God's response, well, he was not pleased at all, right? The Bible says Miriam's skin was stricken with leprosy. The Bible says it was as white as snow. Now, why not Aaron? I don't know. Maybe Miriam was the primary instigator of this situation. I'm not sure. But the point is, whether their sin was racism or speaking out against God's chosen servant Moses, I don't know. It, it seems clear, though, interracial marriage was obviously not an issue at all with God. When we consider in the New Testament, Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. He said to go make disciples of every nation. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he told them uh, that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He, he later told Paul that he would be a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The most telling passage to me is in heaven. It's in Revelation chapter uh, 7, verses 9 and 10, where we read that... Um, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches uh, in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And when I read this, I see... Heaven is not for one race, one nation, or one people. God has called and people have answered from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language on earth. They were all called to come before the throne of the Lamb. So for some middle-class white Anglo-Saxon Protestants who think heaven is only for people who look, act, and think like them, well, if they do get to get to this scene, they're going to be in for a big surprise. As we build God's house, as God's family, His, His church, Jesus' church, we need to be a shining example of how God calls His children to live 
and treat one another. We've got to reflect his thoughts and his feelings on racism. We've got to model. We've got to be the model, the example of how life should be, how life can be. And then as ambassadors, we need to go tell others about that and then call others to come be a part of it with us. Now, what? While we are far from perfect, okay, I'm, I'm not made no delusion to think we're perfect in any way, but we seem to be ahead of the curve uh, of many of our peers in, in racial diversity, unity, and love. Now, in a lesson I shared back on June the 7th of last year, I shared some statistics that when I found them, they blew my mind. It, it says that in America right now, 99% of all white Americans who claim to be Christians attend an all-white church. And at the same time, 96%, that's still 96% of all black Americans who claim to be Christians attend an all-black church. Now be clear, this is not what God wants for his people. This is not what God calls his people to be. And that can never be the model God wants. It can never be the model of God's attitude towards racism. We cannot sit in racially segregated churches and in the name of God call for racial unity. And tragically, one of the most racially segregated places to be on a Sunday morning is in church. So where are we? Where, where's the, the Champagne Church of Christ? How do we represent the, the racial balance of our community? Well, here are some numbers. Champaign County uh, has a racial breakdown uh, as far as uh, it's like 73.4% white. 12.4% African-American, 8.9% Asian, and 5.3% Latino. That's Champaign County. Now, in our church, we currently have uh, a, a racial breakdown of 76.5% white, 17% African-American, 2.5% Asian, and 4% Latino in our membership. So when I look at this, I say, you know what? We were actually doing a, a good job of representing the racial mix of our community in regards to the, the black and white ratio. We're actually fairly close to the community's uh, Latino representation, but we are sadly falling way behind in the Asian representation. And however, even with, with these challenges, we're actually a fair representation, a fair reflection of the community around us racially. We're trying. We're working on it. And God is blessing us. And uh, he's blessing us with the very things our community is crying for. So what we need to do is share the, those numbers. We need to share this message with our friends and ask them to join us in building a house that will be an example of God's family from every nation, every tribe, and every language under heaven. We need to find all of those who are genuinely interested in facing these issues with God's plan and God's message 
and saying, you need to join us and help us because we need your help to both model this message and share this message. Now, make no mistake about it, guys. I'm not against uh, or, or being critical of trying to make changes in our community. But what I'm just saying is that we've got to uh, represent God first in what He wants in our churches. The key to changing our community is changing hearts, and changing hearts is God's specialty. I want to encourage everyone to share this message, this sermon, this, this, this message with your friends, right? Uh, an audio and a video version of this are available on our website. You can go get that and you can share that link. We're also going to have a, uh, uh, we're resurrecting the podcast, Walk the Talk. And next week, they're going to be posting a, a conversation between myself and Deshaun Williams about how we can further bridge the racial distances we have in our community and how we have a conversation, how to effectively start conversations about this. I want to encourage you, listen to these and offer the link to your friends and to your family. And then you offer that link and then say, hey, listen to this. And then let's get together and let's talk about this. Let's talk about how we can do this. Let's see how we can open the door to change with our message. God's message. And by the way, like I mentioned last week, this is an attention getter. This is an intention to get her. It's using where, what, where people are right now and what they're concerned with right now, what they're talking about right now, to start a broader conversation that includes God's message. It's trying to, to open the door to a conversation about what God thinks about racism and diversity. And as the weeks go by, we will interject other conversations, other social issues. But right now, I want to invite everybody, everyone who's serious about sharing God's message of love and unity to join us, to help us, to strengthen us, and let us work together to build a city on a hill, a city on a hill that lights the way for all to see. Let's open the door to change with our message.